I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we explore those principles and cultivate those virtues that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, glad to be with you for another week, folks. I am not broadcasting from the great state of South Dakota where under God the people rule. I happen to be sitting in the mountains of Colorado right now, out here for a conference of the National Association of State Catholic Conference Directors. Just a beautiful setting and um, visiting with my wife and kids who are out here with me just about the mountains and all, the, all these mountains in scripture. It just becomes so clear why uh, we've got these great saints, you know, John, John Paul comes to mind, we've got uh, Pierre Giorgio, all these saints come through history who, for whom mountains and just the splendor of God's creation are so important and uh, just grateful for the, the majesty of the place um, and grateful too in our, in our great state, South Dakota, we've got these, these black hills that give just a, a wonderful uh, ge- geological diversity to the tapestry of, of our state. Okay, so jumping back into um, kind of our, you know, what we do on the show is we kind of range between some of the more like high, higher level principles, some of, the, some of the political science, some of the theology on the one hand, and on the other hand, just kind of in, into the nuts and bolts of policies. This week, we're going to step back and, uh, and re-examine some of those, those principles, just do a little bit more thinking about where we are right now and, and where, we, where we're going and how we can go there as Christians. I'm really delighted to have on the program with us today, Father Justin Brophy. Father Brophy is a Dominican of the province of St. Joseph. He teaches political science at Providence College in Rhode Island. And uh, he's got a PhD in political science from Notre Dame where he underwent, uh, I think, m- most of his studies, if that's, yeah, most all of them, except for seminary. Yeah, so welcome welcome to the, sh- the show, Father. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here, Chris. I well, appreciate it. And you, you, you gave a, just a, an excellent, excellent series of, uh, of reflections to the Catholic Conference directors who are, who are gathered for their summer meeting. And so I wanted to unpack uh, those, just a little bit of, of diagnosis of kind of like, what, what's going on? Where are we at? in this, this sort of great timeline of history that we're blessed to find ourselves in. But then also, like, what can we as Catholics do? So that's where we're going, folks, on the, on the program today. But um, just wanted to, before we get started, Father, just get to know you a little bit more. Sure. Like, I, you can tell us about your family, your background a little bit, but one of the questions that I'm really curious about, because you're such a, just to be honest, like, um, there's a dynamism, there's like an attraction, you, there's a confidence. I want to know, why are you Catholic? <laughs> well, thanks. It's a, yeah, it's a big question to start off. Why am I Catholic? Uh, the, the very first thing that comes to mind is because I believe it's true. Uh, now, that's a very Dominican answer. Yes. Uh, but it's one that's heartfelt, and it's not, it's not one that's overly intellectualized, as I'll explain. Uh, you know, when I was in, in college, really being exposed as an undergrad uh, to the beauty of Catholic philosophy, Catholic theology, uh, just really captivated me. And as a hungry young person who was looking for something to seek my uh, teeth into, uh, I thought, ah, you know, this is it. You know, this is, this is something that uh, 
you know, can direct my life. And this is something that I, I can believe in. And of course, uh, it introduced me to, to the God who I believe who is. And, uh, you know, that's the intellectual side of it. But after a while, uh, you begin to realize, you know, the, the faith isn't just a set of propositions. And it's the people that I've, I've seen starting from that time in college, people who witness to the beauty of the faith, people who struggle with the faith, uh, people who love the faith more than life and from all walks of life and from all different parts of the country and, and even in the globe and the different expressions of Catholicism, uh, all of that, uh, to experience that, to have the privilege to experience that, uh, makes me so proud mm. to be, be part of uh, such a faith. And of course, the most important person is Jesus Christ. Amen. And to come to the realization, uh, you know, I was raised a cradle Catholic and I always believed in the real presence, but to really experience the real presence and to, I remember kneeling down going to mass and undergrad at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart in Notre Dame. And, uh, it was just a regular weekday mass, nothing special, you know. And uh, at the elevation, I just remember thinking, wow, this really is the, the body and blood of our Lord and Savior. Uh, and, yeah, uh, to, to think that this God who is on the intellectual side so transcendent and all-knowing and all-good, to know on the personal side that he doesn't just kind of stay up there but takes on this flesh and offers himself to us that's the kind of god that we have who mm. reaches out his hand in friendship to us uh that was just very impactful that that's why i'm i'm catholic yeah. praise god thank you for that story and it's two weeks in a row now that i've asked that question i'm getting a little teary-eyed it's just like yeah the, the magnificent love of god um just to, to, to see that born out in, in individual hearts is so amazing. So with that background, we want to talk a little bit about faith and politics. You know, I, I love this, this Chesterton quote. It's like, you know, all I ever talk about is faith and politics. What else is there? Else is there? There's nothing else, um, which is sometimes it's hard to like make that connection, but there is so much. I know you've got a, you've got a background, you've got some higher level degrees in theology and then PhD in political science. What's, um, you know, I think as, as people of faith who are citizens, who are actors within this great public thing, this great republic, you know, there, there can be a, you know, a bit of disorientation. It's like, where, where are we? How do we get here? What's happening? And there were a number of things that, that you shared this morning, and I know we're not going to have time to go through all of them, but, but one of your first points, and I think you said this was deliberately the first point, is this this tension between um, a Lockean individualism and then a, a Puritan theology that has been in our DNA as Americans? Can you un unpack what that tension is for the listeners? Yeah. So one of the the great scholars who I I learned from uh, one of my most influential professors in undergrad, Dr. Elliot Barkey, who happens to be an Orthodox Jew. Uh, his great teacher was Carrie McWilliams, who taught at Rutgers for many years. And he posited this, this thesis that there's two voices in American politics. There's the, the Lockean individual side, and there's the uh, 
more Puritan covenant theology side in that these two are in tension together. Uh, and in a lot of ways, this, this tension is good because on the, the liberal side, you, uh, you have freedom under which different peoples and groups can flourish, but the, the civic institutions and the religious institutions on the other side will check it and, and keep it from uh, growing into uh, an unchecked, rabid individualism. And I think what we're seeing now is kind of the breakdown mm. of, or what we've been seeing for a long time now, actually, is the breakdown of a lot of those civic institutions, communities, church structures. And the way it's played out uh, is that on the one hand, I think we have uh, a large generation of Americans who are deeply individualistic, who pride uh, their individual rights, um, who are very skeptical of authority and authority structures, and that's blown up more and more as social media continues to uh, develop and uh, take a, a, an important place in political discourse. And yet on the other side, we still have this deep moral sensibility uh, of wanting to be right, yeah. of wanting to be sure. And I think that there's a deep sense for a lot of people, uh, especially young people, that uh, we do want some guiding authority in our lives, yes. even though we're resistant to authority on the other hand. So it's this interesting paradox, I think, where we're skeptical of authority, we prize individualism, but on the other hand, we desperately want to know that we're on the right path, that our lives have some meaning. Uh, we want to know ourselves, and, and in some sense, we want to be guided. Well, and, and one of the, the other points that you raised that is something that I personally just spent a lot of time thinking about just as a, as a citizen, I don't know if this is something I think about because I happen to work for a Catholic conference, but just as I'm experiencing um, being an American in the, in the 21st century, the decline of institutions is, um, is something that I think is shocking. I, I read not long ago a memo written by Daniel Patrick Moynihan in 1970 for President Nixon, 13-page memo, and point one is he's just providing lay of the land. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I think is important to governance. Point one is the greatest problem of afflicting American society today is the decline of our traditional institutions. Mm -hmm. 50 years ago, we saw that. And, and it's something we're experiencing now. Um, what, what can we as Catholics, you know, what should we think about that helps us like make sense of, of what we're seeing in the decline of institutions? So in terms of what we can do or in terms of why it's... it's well, maybe let's get to what we can do, but first, right. what about why? So again, you know, I'm, I think single cause explanations are always dangerous, well, right? I think these things well, are really complicated. Uh, but uh, here's a few things. So first of all, as we continue to become more individualistic, I think that's what, what I mentioned before. That's one yeah. thing. We just yeah. don't value community as much. Uh, the second thing is... Uh, the way information is spread now, um, traditional institutions don't have the same monopoly over information that they once had, and that undercuts a lot of their authority. Yeah. And I think, thirdly, with social media, you know, there's so much more transparency now. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it undermines institutions when the institutions themselves or leaders in the institutions fall short of uh, the leadership positions of, to which they are called. 
And uh, that, you know, you can't hide that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the the questions that people may be asking, myself certainly, as we're witnessing this is, well, first, can we say that institutions are a good thing and this is a bit of a wound that that we have to see them decline? Is that fair? Yes. I mean, I, you know, I think institutions are important. Uh, I think communities are important. Yeah. You know, yeah, say more about that. Yeah. I mean, so, man, I think the even in my answer to why you Catholic question, for me, it's so deeply personal. Mm. And people go into politics for different reasons. And for some people who study political science, it, political science is the study of institutions. Yes. For me, that's not really the case. For me, politics is the study of people. Mm. Um, so I'm interested in people and what makes uh, people tick and, and why people act the way in the ways that they do. And, uh, you know, it, it's easy to make this overly idealistic, but, uh, you know, you shoot for what's true and what's good and what's beautiful. And at the end of the day, I think our association should be personal. And I, I think we should strive to build our associations on friendship. Uh, and, you know, the instant that those bonds dissolve away, it becomes a lot harder to maintain institutions. Now, I, want, I want to talk about this because this was, I mean, friendship was one of the really captivating themes that came out in, the, in your, your second talk, which was more a talk along the lines of like, what do we do? And friendship, I personally believe, and I guess, I don't know if it's so much as a belief, it's just like this innate desire that I have to live. I deeply, deeply want friendships, even in like my work. So when I'm engaging with somebody in the governor's office or like another policy person, there can be a temptation that we just sort of reduce one another to special interest groups. Um, But in fact, um, I don't know. I just, even what we're doing right now, let's talk about truth together. Like what a deeply human thing that, that I know we're made for and we desire. How are, how is friendship an antidote to the wound that we're experiencing. So I think you're absolutely right when you say, hey, I have this natural desire, like I create friendship. Look, we are created for union with God. It's a kind of friendship. I have called you friends. Uh, And, you know, God willing, we get there one day. Uh, And we experience union with God now in our life of prayer and in communion. But also, we experience it indirectly in our friendships with other human beings, right? These things are analogous. You know, our, our good friendships uh, should be an image of how we relate to God and vice versa. You know, the way we relate to God should inform our friendships. Uh, so, I mean, I do think it's connected to a, a natural human desire. I think that with all of the pain and suffering and fallenness and brokenness that's attendant on the human condition, I think it's friendship that is the most uh, comforting self. And as I look out today at uh, how attached we are to our technology, and to be clear, I'm not anti-technology, but it does affect the way we think and act. And it's so easy for it to... uh, create a wall of separation between us and other people. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if we were having this conversation right now over text, right? It'd be so much different. Yeah. Uh, there's something about, I can see your facial expressions. We look at each other in the eye. We see each other's reactions. Um, but then there's also something you can't really articulate about just being in the room with the other person. Right. 
you remove that. It's a lot easier to be polarized, to be disdainful of somebody, to speak ill of somebody, uh, to feel isolated. Yeah, and one of the things, too, that I've said about politics in South Dakota, because we're a small state, I've said this a number of times, I think our politics are somewhat healthier than other places despite there being real and substantial differences in policy positions, simply because like, you know, my sister went to school with your aunt and it's, it's kind of like one big small town in a certain sense. Um, you know, we've, we've seen one another at the football game or whatever it happens to be. Is that, is that kind of what you're talking no, about? I, I think that's it. I mean, look, it's a lot hard. And look, we're humans, we're, we're fallen. Nothing's perfect. Even people you know well, you, you can get into vicious fights with, right? And there's always going to be disagreement. But it's a lot harder, uh, you know, when you spend time with people at the bowling alley or in church on Sunday or, yeah. you know, at the, the American Legion Hall, whatever it might be. Yeah. It becomes a lot more difficult to denounce uh, or to get vicious at somebody who you interact with in that man. Yeah. You know, one of the things, too, when I think about this, um, this need for friendship in, in our civil life, there's this other reality um, that we talk about, which is Christendom is dead. We've talked about it on this broadcast before. We've, we've talked a little bit about this book, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, mm-hmm. that has been making the rounds in, in South Dakota. For all the listeners, if you haven't picked it up yet and read it, I encourage you to do so. Yeah, I think it, it's a book that really frames in a helpful way um, just the decline of a broader society that, that shares Christian values. So with, with that, with Christendom um, now dead, uh, we're, we're in a new age, I think maybe we understand it's a bit easier to be friends with people with whom we do share values, first, first principles, commitments. How do we do that with people with whom we don't share those commitments? So, I mean, it's such a tough question. Uh, but again, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to friendship. Uh, here's what I believe. I believe in a doctrine of original sin that all of us are deeply wounded. And I believe uh, that in a doctrine of incarnation, that Jesus Christ becomes a human being so that human beings can become like gods, uh, that we're born for union with him. And so I think every human being, we have, we have this in common. We're all broken, and we all desire something completely and utterly transcendent. Uh-huh. And as Christians, we have the answer to that. Jesus Christ is the only answer to this problem. But, you know, you you don't necessarily get there in one step. And so I think getting to know other people, getting to know their their pain, but also getting them to articulate uh, their aspirations and what they want, but then living as people of faith who believe that we actually can have a relationship with this being. One of the things that was bad about Christendom is that when you begin to take a kind of established orthodoxy, you can lose sense of how radical it is, precisely because it's part of the establishment. We believe the most radical thing of all. We believe in this unbelievable, utterly transcendent God who deigns to take on human flesh and to become like us so that we could be friends with him. Yeah. Like that is that we believe as Christians, the most radical, uh, amazing, unbelievable doctrine. And to kind of 
be able to regain a sense of how absolutely astonishing that claim is, how amazing that claim is, how awesome that claim is. Uh, you know, I think that that's really important. I, I, so Christendom is dead. It's been on the decline for several hundred years now at least. And I detect in you, what I do not detect is any defensiveness. What I do detect is confidence, joy, fearlessness, Am I detecting? All right. How's so, my intuition? Now I'm going to come clean, right? Yeah. So, and just to be clear, I think that, you know, I think Christendom produced many amazing things culturally, yes. produced amazing things. Yes. So I don't want to soft sell that. I also think there were many bad, you know, like anything else that's not just divine, but human, you know, there's, uh, it's mixed. Um, but, you know, so I'm not going to sit here and say I'm completely fearless. You know, I yeah. think there's a lot of ambiguity. You don't know what's coming. Sure. But sure. you're right to say that I'm, I'm not defensive. Like I say, I think they're, despite the good things that Christendom brought, I think now that there's, uh, there's good things with it having fallen apart. And I, I think a large part of that, as I say, is recapturing the radicality of our claims of being able to live this life, not because it's just socially beneficial or because it's what everybody else is doing, yeah. but because we're committed to it. Yes. Um, not that people didn't do that before, I'm not saying that, but uh, it just becomes all that more crucial now, all that more visible now, if you will. Yeah, it, it, you know, one of the things too that I think you've, you've mentioned is that the, the means through which we do this, sort of this, this engagement within a, a, a very diverse pluralistic there, you know, lots of different sets of beliefs, the importance of faith and reason. Yeah. Can you, can you say just a little more about that? Yeah. So, you know, this is one of those, you know, Catholic phrases. We have our special Catholic terms and Catholic phrases and, and especially for Dominicans, the complementarity between faith and reason yes. is so important. Namely that even though there's things of the faith that are mysterious, that we can't rationalize or prove we don't think that anything we hold is inherently irrational, that it can be shown at least to be reasonable. And what I think is important is, uh, I obviously believe this, but it can so often become a punchline yeah. that we kind of throw on our college brochures or like we bring out in talks or interviews like this. Right. But if you really believe that, yeah. if you really believe that, then you don't fear engagement. Right. Uh, you know, and uh, that doesn't mean that there are ideas that aren't dangerous or that we might lose some debates even every yeah. once in a while. But it, it does mean that the, the truth we possess, precisely because it's true, has nothing to fear from, from other traditions. Well, and I think, too, there was a corollary to this point about uh, just sort of the intellectual component of faith and reason putting it really simply, but then also you mentioned this a number of times, just sort of shared life, the way we live, you know, a scripture that's been on my heart the last couple of weeks. Um, I think it's John. I am the way, the truth, the life that, that Christianity is, I think, as you put it, it's not just like this collection of doctrinal statements that happen to be in a book. And like that's Christianity. No, it's like, it's something we live yeah. It's a way of life. I mean, the creeds are important. The doctrines are important, essentially. But uh, 
you know, ultimately we're called to union with God and we're, we're called to live a way of life. Uh, and I do, I, I think that that is so crucial. And I think it's crucial. We talked about friendship before, you know, that takes on uh, added significance in the life of the Christian. We're told so many times throughout the gospels not to judge, judge not. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there's no clear right and wrong. It doesn't mean you don't speak out about evils. But what it does mean is that on the personal level, uh, you know, we're meant to accompany people in their struggles and in their quest for union with God. And, you know, we have to be supports for one another. Yeah. Uh, and rather than just engaging people on the level of ideas, and look, you know, I'm a, I'm a university professor. I'm all about engaging people on the level of ideas. Sure. What's more fundamental is that we engage people as full persons, not just as minds, but as minds and bodies with emotions and feelings. Yeah. So essential. Yeah. That, that, I mean, St. Paul to the Corinthians, the greatest of these is love, you know, um, can have all knowledge. Uh, the greatest of these is love. And we've got a, we've got a couple minutes here left, uh, two and a half or so minutes. You, you did just a great job, uh, Father, in your talks of, of weaving in the Holy Father, Fratelli Tutti, this, um, this great document on brotherhood, uh, the brotherhood of, of all mankind. Um, you know, we, we obviously don't have a lot of time to spend on it, but could you just say a little bit about the way in which the Holy the Holy Father challenges us, particularly as Americans, to be vulnerable with our fellow citizens? You can't, this is the thing, uh, you can't have friendship without vulnerability. And, uh, you know, the, the great side of that is if you're able to be vulnerable to somebody else and they're able to be vulnerable to you, there's a real bond there that can be so spiritual. But for us Catholics, one of the things I have to keep in mind that I think is a challenge to us because uh, nobody likes to be vulnerable and get burned. Yeah. But sometimes that happens. Yes. You know, we're going to try to reach out in friendship. Uh, we're not going to, that friendship is not going to be requited. But as Christians, we're called to put out into the deep. Yes. Uh, and that means success, but it also means failure. And we take both in equal measure, but with the confidence uh, that the one person who never rejects us, the one person who always comes through, the one person who always receives us in our vulnerability and still loves us unconditionally is Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, it's so, so well put. Um, you know, I think just even thinking about my own life, the way in which I learned how to be a friend was not by reading about it in a book, but by experiencing the offer of friendship from another person. And I just think back to that experience uh, of how they made themselves really vulnerable to me and shared something that was hard. And I got to like see their heart. Um, so to be able to do that with our fellow citizens, uh, what, a, what, a, what a powerful thing that is. And not in a way to like instrumentalize them or instrumentalize friendship, but because they're worth it. Christ loved them. Um, and so, so too are we called to love them. Well, Father, it was, it was great to have you on the, on the program. Really grateful for your accepting my invitation. And uh, I hope we can connect again. Sometime. I hope so, too. Thanks so much. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you, dear listeners, as always, for, for tuning in. We'll be back reporting from South Dakota again next week as, we, uh, as the Catholic Conference ends its road trip. Um, and uh, looking forward to hearing from you. As always, love to hear listener feedback. You can go to our website, sdcatholicconference.org. Click Contact Us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear. 
Um, and uh, drop us a little uh, little rating there on, on your podcast app if, if, if you'd like to also. Until next time, live well. Live well.